Hello, foodie fans. Welcome to the Big Food Talk, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. I'm your host, Sal Conca. This show supports restaurants, chefs, and food pioneers with your help. Head to BigFoodTalk.com to make your donation today or check out our fun apparel line with proceeds going directly to participating restaurants. Special thanks to the Long Island Food Council, DineLI Facebook Group, and Yelp Long Island for supporting this episode. Today, I'm joined by Tom Fazio, a chef with 20 years experience, now working at That Meatball Place in Patchogue and Farmingdale. Tom joined the team during the pandemic and he's already brought the menu to new heights. Listen in to hear how Tom describes what makes a great dining experience, how he works with his team, and what the most enjoyable part of being a chef is. Let's hear Tom's story. Hey Tom, welcome to the Big Food Talk. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know you're coming to me from all the ways from the meatball place. Where are you at? Farmingdale, Patchogue today? Sitting in Farmingdale right now. Happy to be on the show, Sal. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I know, you know, we just met. I, I was able to attend your Goodfellas wine dinner, which was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're cooking up some amazing food over there. I've been to the meatball place many times and uh, I can say, you know, the food, it definitely had a change. It definitely was stepped up. I loved what I was tasting and, you know, all that stuff. So I'll stop blowing smoke up your butt for now. But, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but this is about you. And, and I really want to find out more about, you know, what drives you to cook and, and, and what brings you into the restaurant scene. So how long have you been cooking professionally? Uh, I'm working on my 20th year cooking professionally. I started when I was seven, 17 washing dishes. Um, moved in. I've done, I've done both ends of it, front of house and back of house. Um, I left the back house for a long time because there was a lot more money in the front of the house. Um, you know, I'm that, I'm that educated idiot who went through and uh, decided food service was a smart career choice. Um, but hey, listen, I'm happy where I'm at. It's, uh, it's a new challenge every day. Um, so we've got a great team here at that meatball place. I'm happy to be, happy to be working with them. Yeah, that's awesome. So 20 years in the biz, where did you actually get your start? Where was your first gig washing dishes? I was in Ocello's restaurant in Northport. I was 17 years old. I was actually working as a busboy to start. And I got in a fight with one of the Salvadorian cooks in the back. And I told my boss, I bet you I cook better than that asshole. He fired <laughs> the cook the next day I had the job. Hey, look at that, right? So sometimes it pays off, right? Have a little balls and... Uh... Well, just be young and dumb and stupid. That was that was really the, the medium there. And then I was getting paid, I think it was 10 bucks an hour to, to plate crappy salads and mozzarella towers and, you know, wash dishes part-time. And, you know, I'm looking at these waiters and waitresses who were walking out the door with $200, $250 in their pocket. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing wasting my time in the back of the house making $10 an hour? <laughs> gotcha. So, I mean, some for some reason, though, you stuck around. I mean, you said you've taken this journey. You've done front, done back. You're back in the back of the house or, you know, conceivably now you're, you're cooking, you're head chef at that Mupo place. What is it about the restaurant business and cooking? What keeps you there? What are you passionate about? Money mostly. Yeah? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if you're in this just for the money, you're in trouble. I, I like the speed and the excitement of it. 
Um, the, the toughest part of COVID for me has been just the lack of customers that we see coming in. And understandably so, we can't be putting ourselves in a bad position with this uh, virus, but I miss that edge, that, that fine edge where you're between absolute destruction and you're, you're just, and, and perfection is right on the other side of it. And you know, when a restaurant is really running right, that's the balance that you're striking. It's running on all cylinders and just cranking away. Absolutely. I had um, pastry chef uh, Claudia Fleming on recently, and she was talking about back in the house. She worked at uh, places like Gramercy Tavern and uh, She's Tresecca a Grill. And yes, yeah, so you know her, right? So I, I, I've never met her. I know of her and the, the stuff that she's done. And uh, her and her husband ran one of the uh, finest restaurants on Long Island for uh, a long time. Um, I'm very sad to hear about him. But she, uh, like I said, from what I've heard, read, and, and uh, we have some cross connections. Uh, yeah, just an absolute. Uh, like I said, she is, and she was so sweet to talk to, but she talks about this back of the house because, you know, for me as a food enthusiast, a lover of food, right? I, I never really get to experience what that's like in the back of the house. All right, we watch Chef's Table, we watch Gordon Ramsay, we watch all this stuff, but it's really a team sport, right? I mean, you guys have to come together. So how do you, how do you orchestrate? How do you manage this back of the house team? How, do you, how does it come together for you? Well, management styles are, are important, okay? You can't just look at each, you can't look at a group and say, I'm gonna treat all of you the same exact way. It doesn't work. Getting your interpersonal relationships with all of your cooks in line so you know how to motivate them in that time is very, very important. I spend a lot of time with the guys just having conversations and seeing what's going on in their life. Listen, to put together a recipe, it's my job to make that simple for them to recreate in the moment, okay? And we shoot for average cake times, between eight minutes and 12 minutes. That's really our target strategy uh, for getting food out to our guests. So we're talking rapid fire. Um, but yeah, it's my job to give them the tools and then to know how to motivate them in real time. Um, and I, again, that's, for me, I'm not a yeller and a screamer. I never liked being a yeller and a screamer. I, I worked at a restaurant last year where one of the cooks, he needed to be yelled and screamed at. And I, I would look at him after the shift and I'd go, Harrison, why do you make me do that to you? Because his motivating factor was always fear. And I would always have to apologize to him profusely, but I knew that that was his positive motivator. Some people you just leave alone. That's, you know, fortunately here, I've got a great team. Uh, I walked into a great team to begin with. And that's, uh, that's the, the best gift an executive chef could ask for is talented people in the kitchen working with them. Absolutely. So you transitioned to that meatball place during COVID. Is that the case? Loser. You there, buddy? I wasn't for a second. Got you back. Okay. Yeah. So my question was, you, did you actually, did you transition to that meatball place during COVID? It was, it was, I left my prior restaurant um, right as COVID started. So I was in a weird place. I didn't really have a job and the industry that I had worked in for so long at the time, I sat back and said, listen, I can do, I can go and bartend somewhere. I can go and cook somewhere. I'll just take some job to make some cash to get me through. Then we had COVID-19 and I was uh, one of the people that was depending on that government money coming in every week. And for eight weeks of it, I, I didn't get, I didn't see a single dollar. You know, and bills kept adding up, adding up, adding up. And it was a, it was a tough time for sure. Absolutely. So when did you start? When did you start I'm, your... I want to say I'm here seven or eight weeks at this point. Okay. Um, and I always joke with the, with the owners here that it takes about two months to write a menu and we're doing it in real time with uh, real life customers coming in. 
but they've been very supportive. And, you know, like I said, I can't say enough good things about the staff that's here, both front of house and back of house, Farmingdale and Patchogue. Um, it's been wonderful to work with, to come in and really work with professionals. That's awesome. Yeah. So what is that experience like, like with your expertise and coming to in, into an already established restaurant, right? They're already known for their meatballs. Like sure. what, and this don't take this the wrong way, but so then what do you bring to the table? How do you now make it your own? How do you add your influence to a restaurant that's already established like this? Well, the first thing I do is, and a lot of chefs or a lot of young chefs think it's all about just menu writing and you write the best menu you can possibly write. For me, it's meeting with the ownership group and seeing what their vision and mission is and then writing that menu to go along with that vision. I said to uh, one of our partners here, Joe, Hey, listen, I can write you a menu without talking to you, but if I can sit with you for an hour or two, go over what your wants and needs are, then we can really get this done a lot quicker and a lot more productively. You know, we, we saw that this, you know, the meatball place, it's a fast casual restaurant and it was missing uh, a lot of fast casual items on it. Um, so we just took some on-trend items and you know, put them on there and, you know, we're not trying to light the world on fire with the food here. We just want good on-trend food that goes out to our guests quickly and they can enjoy in a, in a pleasant atmosphere. Absolutely. And I, I saw, is the new menu live today? Is new that menu's, new menu's live? Yep. Awesome. And so I was looking at that and I noticed a lot more options than I, I had recognized in the past for sure. It's probably been about a year, maybe more since I've been into the meatball place. Actually, I had a, uh, a rap party on one of my indie films Okay. Uh, in in the basement, we did it in the basement in that secret. Oh, that's a cool room. <laughs> that's a cool room. Wait till you see what I got lined up for that room. We're gonna do an all inclusive chef's tasting dinner down there. We're, you know, we're talking in the one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollar price, yeah, you know, per person price range. But uh-huh. dry aged steaks and caviar, oysters, stone crab. I mean, all just over the top uh, shit. And it should be a fun experience once we get it up and going. I love it. That's the that's the type of stuff that drives me. I love that it's the meatball place and people can make a lot of connotations about that. I mean, listen, I'm Italian. My father, he won't even need meatball out, right? That's the type sure. of mentality that he has. And, you know, I go in cause I'm just willing to try and taste anything sometimes. And I go, you know, so I tasted the meatballs and I'm, I go, yeah, I'm like, they're good. You know, they're good. The, the red sauce the other night at the Goodfellas dinner that I had with the big ass rigatoni. Yeah. That made yeah. me so happy. That just brought me to, I was like, that's like being home. That yeah, rigatoni, it was amazing, man. I got to tell you. And so the experiences that you guys are doing, the events that you're planning, bringing new menu items. I saw the, the porterhouse we had that night. I was like, what the hell is a porterhouse doing at that meatball place? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're so lucky. We have the meat market right next door to us. We share a wall with them. We should be able to have great dry aged beef here. Um, you know, our, our plan for downstairs is to rebrand it as this concept called A5 which is the, uh, the grading for uh, Japanese Wagyu beef. So that's the highest marbling, highest fat content beef in the world. So we really want to focus on that great beef that we know that we can get right next door and bring that into the meatball place and have a completely different experience within these four walls. Yeah, very cool. And that's the thing. Now, I think with the pandemic, the opportunities for being more creative and inventive, not having to stay exactly in your lane, right? Uh, you can now expand you can be a little more creative people are more accepting they're like they're kind of waiting to figure out well, what are either the takeout specials what can i do if i want to dine in are there you know these exclusive tasting chef menus and things like that that are going on so i think you guys are really positioned well to 
go the next level and and let's not sugarcoat it right i mean times are still rough i mean what capacity are you operating at right now we're at 50 percent. i mean i can show you around the restaurant we have um yeah we're we're taking every precaution this whole thing was sanitized this morning um you know we're we're complying with New York State in terms of we have to have uh, food served with alcoholic beverages. So mm -hmm. we're playing that game right now. Um, whatever we can do to make customers safe, that's that's our priority. Absolutely. I was in there, obviously, as we mentioned, and I saw the dividers at the bar, right? So you're sitting two at a time at the bar if they want and, and being yep. able to offer bar service with the food. Uh, listen, it becomes an additional table setting for you when you lose the actual table capacity around the restaurant as well. I mean, I think the great thing is you guys have a multi-level establishment. You have upstairs, the main floor, you have the basement, the party room. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for you guys at least to spread out, which a lot of other restaurants don't have. Absolutely. I mean, that's that definitely is a benefit for us that we do have all this capacity that we can work with. It's still hard though, and people are still afraid. You know, and that's I a know. that that's a big portion of this this nightmare is that you know as much as we can do to help people be safe, we can't take the inherent fear away from them. Um, they're going to feel that, and they're going to decide when they're feeling comfortable again and when they're ready to get out into the world and you know start uh, start doing this again. Hopefully, by the time we get into the fall and we have this vaccine rolling around, you know, fall, winter, whatever it's going to be, people have a better level of comfort. So, Tom, I, I know before this, you know, we've chatted a little bit. What makes for a great dining experience? What do you equate it to? Well, you talked about it before when you talked about how you had that sauce and it was, you know, it brought you, it brought you somewhere. And for me, it's the emotion of the dining experience that matters. It's, it's, not, it, it's not one single thing. It's using every sense and every part of it to get you somewhere. I, I mentioned to you earlier, that if you like The Who, the song Eminence Front for me reminds me of a perfect dining experience. You, you know the song, right? Yeah, absolutely. I listened to it again before we got on just to understand, but go ahead, I'll let you explain it. So for me, it's a song that just constantly, you're constantly on the edge of your seat. Like it never, it never collapses in on itself. And you ride this very fine edge all the way to the last drum, that last drum kick. So to have that, that feeling, that emotion that's just riding you through your entire dining experience, that for me is perfection in dining. Um, you never want it to be boring. You never want it to be old. You never want it to be uh, repetitious. Uh, that's where people get in trouble, I think. And, and when we're putting out great dining experiences, we really want people to ride that ride with us. Um, now, as much as we try to make it a controlled ride, because we do have these rules that we're working within, right? About eight to 12 minutes for our ticket times. We want to get our customers out in under 90 minutes, because we know that that's that's the experience that they want. Mm -hmm. We need to make that 90, that 90 minutes that we have with them very, very memorable. So it comes down to everything. And I love when you just said, I, I, lo I love the emotion of food. And I love that moment when a person puts food in their mouth and you can just see that little smile or that little gasp or like, mm, that was the bite. That yep. for me is the best feeling as a cook to just see a person have that little moment by themselves that was supposed to be for nobody else you catch them in that moment that's perfection there you go yeah and that's it i mean that sums it up that's that's what a great food experience should be um you know you can go dine around all over the world and sometimes it's just the simplest things like a pasta dish that can make you so happy <laughs> right i sure. mean and for us too perception of value is very important 
I don't care if it's the $5 hot dog you get from the hot dog vendor or the $150 porterhouse steak. If you're, you need to match what you pay for what you got. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you, sometimes that hot dog for $5 for lunch with the Sprite that comes along with it is the best fucking thing in the world. And sometimes the $150 steak that you know is Cirque Prime that's supposed to be great, well, it doesn't match. So you need to make those things match up in your mind. And that's very important for me as a cook. And I know uh, for us as a corporation uh, at that meatball place to be giving our customers a huge value or a huge perception of value when they walk through the door. That's great. I I love hearing how involved you are with the owners and that they're not absentee owners, right? They're clearly involved in the business. Um, The other thing that I always loved about the meatball place was that it's, uh, always rooted in music as well. You guys have always had a rich musical history. Are you guys still having performances? I think there was an acoustic player the other night, but yeah, how, how's that? Acoustic, we have some acoustic guitar uh, players coming in right now. Again, with the mandates that we're going through with, with the state, they really don't want a lot of gathering. Uh, we're, we're not doing any DJ programs currently. We're not doing any band programs currently. Um, just because, uh, again, we're trying to be as safe as we possibly can here. You know, and of course. Management here has done a great job, um, top to bottom. With, uh, with all of that. Uh, managers at both Farmingdale and Patchogue, they're just, again, what I said to you before, they're just professionals. And it's, nice to, it's nice to be working with professionals. Excellent. Well, Tom, this has been so informative. I think there's just a lot for people that can to learn about from hearing you talk about the restaurant and that meatball place and your experiences there. Is there anything else you'd like to share with everybody before we take off? No, just come down and, and try us out. You know, we're, uh, we we want to take you for that ride. It's uh, it's a whole different world for the meatball place now. I know the world's changed a lot, and we've changed a lot too. And we're looking forward for people to come down and, and enjoy a lot of it. Absolutely. Well, Tom, it's really been a pleasure. Everybody that's listening, go say hi to Tom. He's a friendly guy. He's an awesome chef, and you're going to love that meatball place. Tom, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Food Talk, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Subscribe on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram for behind-the-scenes takes or watch complete episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to make a donation at BigFoodTalks.com. 